Hello and welcome to the Nurse and Midwife Support Podcast, Your Health Matters. I'm Mark Aiken, the podcast host for today. I'm the Stakeholder Engagement Manager with Nurse and Midwife Support, and I'm a registered nurse. Nurse and Midwife Support is the national support service for nurses, midwives and students. The service is anonymous, confidential and free, and you can call us anytime about any issue you need support for. 1-800-667-877 or contact us via the website nmsupport.org.au. My guest today is Diane Wintle. Diane is an accredited practicing dietitian with a Master of Health Science. Diane is also the author of Procrastinating, Stressing, Eating. This is a book about why we procrastinate in relation to adopting a healthy lifestyle. Welcome and hello, Diane. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. Oh, great to have you here today, Diane. Diane, please tell our listeners about your background and why you wrote this book. Right. I um, Becoming a dietitian was a, a very late career choice. Uh, and I think that's given me a different perspective on the profession and what we as dietitians actually do and what our clients or patients really want from us. So before I was a dietitian, I, um, I studied a lot of things from speech pathology to accounting, but I never actually finished anything. I always saw the, the flaws rather than the good things. And then I had lots of jobs from oh, telephone betting at the TAB to working as an accountant in a timber yard. I had a small corner store. And then really late in life, I had two lovely children. And then I thought, oh, gosh, I haven't got any current skills. We haven't got any money. I'll study something. And I thought, oh, what will I study? So I ended up studying dietetics just because of a bit of a slight interest in the past around food and health and took it from there. Sounds like a very interesting journey, Diane, to where you got to. Tell us a bit about the book and why you wrote it for nurses. Okay. So the book, that came from my... Well, it came from both working in clinical practice, community health, private practice. I also work in Aboriginal health. And I talked to a lot of people. And even back at university as a student, a very mature age student, I noticed the, the emphasis was always on um, assessment and education. But my experience was that people who needed to lose weight were fully aware they needed to lose weight. They weren't ignorant of this. And they even had a pretty good idea of how to do it but something was holding them up. So this was my, my interest in that. So my research was on nurses, so I, I got to learn a lot more about the background and I think nurses are the perfect example of those who care for others, but they haven't got very much left 
to care for themselves in many cases. I mean, there's no template, but this did seem to be a theme that I noticed across the board. They're a, a caring profession. So that nurses are really aware of any health risks that they're carrying by carrying too much weight. Um, they, they fully intend to lose weight and are often frustrated themselves. And sometimes that's combined with a guilt around not telling, not doing themselves what they're telling their patients to do. Um, it just isn't, it just doesn't make it to the top of their priority list to focus on themselves. And that's true for a lot of people. So, you know, you've got um, stress at work, stress at home, often there's financial stresses. It's just so much we have to do in today's world. Um, the workplace, I think, too, for nurses in particular, is getting increasingly stressful, uh, more and more workload. There's the usual shift worker problems of um, irregular meal schedules, long hours, increasing tiredness. Sometimes tiredness creeps up on people and nurses in particular, because they're so busy caring, that their own tiredness, they're missing it. Um, there's that emotional cost of caring. So most of us have got the emotional cost of caring for the very old, the very young, but nurses have it every day when they go to work. And I think that makes um, a big difference. And the, the case studies within the book uh, highlight these and all the other aspects, not enough um, money, all the things that are high risk for weight gain in the general population are also high risk for nurses. Um, the, some of the thoughts are we procrastinate and that gives us temporary relief. So, oh, I've got to do this. I've got to plan what I'm going to eat. No, I haven't got time. And so we just don't do it. And just, that actually feels good just for a little bit. And Nam, one of the, you know, really Good uh, nursing researchers found the most frequent stress release method used by nurses was eating. And with this book, I wanted to acknowledge the stress, explain the links with procrastination, and then look at some of the pathways with a focus more on joy and pleasure rather than abstinence or pain. Sounds very, very interesting, Diane. And I've read your book several times, and there's some really interesting information in there. Your book's full of interesting facts and is based on, on the research which you've spoken about. Would you provide a bit more um, a bit more information about that research and who you spoke to and what the research told you? Yeah, so when I was um, teaching into the Nutrition and Dietetics program at Charles Sturt University, I took that opportunity to do my research to um, work towards the master's thesis. And I wanted to examine the relationships, if any, between procrastination and obesity and procrastination and stress. So they were my, my background um, research. My particular area of interest is behavioral economics. So I was looking at it from a psychological viewpoint, a philosophical viewpoint, and classical and behavioral economics to, I mean, it's not just 
eating that these types of things affect. So some of the other underlying thoughts were that eating is used to relieve stress and eating is used to procrastinate. So I created a survey with um, a lot of help uh, with people experienced in survey methodology and it was actually titled Procrastination, Stress and Obesity in Nurses. So I contacted the state branches of the Nurses Federation and Queensland and Victoria were fantastic. They, they let me put a little link to my survey in their online newsletters and I got 459 responses just from that. So that's good. That was great. I thought that really sort of kind of validated my thought that this is a topic that those who are experiencing these things can really relate to. Um, so the survey also included some validated scales. I know nurses are really interested in real research with real uh, genuine results that can be an evidence base to expand more broadly. And so I included Lay's general procrastination scale and I contacted Clary Lay himself and he was just so good. He said, yep, you can use it and it's robust enough that you can use it on your website or whatever you want to do with it later. And it had some really beautiful questions all around procrastination. And the other one I used was the perceived stress scale. And it looks at the sorts of questions you would expect to see around, around stress. And it incorporated the two and some anthropometric questions and questions around television viewing, smoking, alcohol, financial stress and meal planning. Um, and in a nutshell, the, some of the results were that procrastination and stress were strongly linked. Other researchers have found this as well. And the frequency of television viewing affected the probability of being obese and not planning meals had a big impact on the probability of obesity. That's very interesting research, Diane. So procrastinating, overeating and weight gain are described in your book and they're obviously outcomes of your research, as you've just explained. In the book, you state that overeating and procrastinating are both self-defeating behaviours. Could you talk a bit about that? Yeah. So with procrastinating, we procrastinate about a lot of things. Around 20% of people identify themselves as chronic procrastinators and 90-odd percent of those people don't want to be. It just is. So it's, it's a significant problem. So we don't just procrastinate about adopting healthy lifestyle or going on a diet or starting to walk or exercise. We, we do it in a range of things. And the things that it matters when we're going to be worse off by delaying. If we do it sooner, we'd be better off. So things like you delay your tax, you end up with a fine. So it costs you a lot more. Uh, you want to buy a ticket to a sporting event or a concert and you think, I'll do that as soon as I finish work. You missed it. You don't get to see the concert or the, the football match. Uh, you don't pay your electricity bill on time. You miss your so-called discount. It's just a penalty payment that happens. Uh, that's a, a bigger background. People who overeat or 
eat junk foods or frequently snack generally have unwanted weight gain. It's one of those things that happen. Most people would prefer not to be carrying excessive weight. So most of us are aware of the health risks, but we still procrastinate over a lifestyle change, even though we know in the long run we're going to be worse off. Um, I argue that in both the self-defeating behaviours that they're preceded by stress, cognitive overload, we simply have too many things to do, or scarcity, scarcity of time, scarcity of money. Diane, that's really interesting. So what tips do you have for our listeners in relation to not procrastinating? Uh, okay. It's really complicated. I think you have to start in a really small way, maybe something that's not threatening. So do you procrastinate over going to bed? A lot of people experiencing stress do. They, they stop and they, they just think, well, this is me time. And so they stay up. They might be watching television and eating. They might be playing on the computer, might be reading a book, playing words with friends, just delaying going to bed. So I think that's something that's probably not too threatening. You could say, oh, well, I'll just I'll alter a habit, a habit that's, that's harmless. That's interesting, altering a habit. And do you think setting goals is important and yeah. then having a plan? Yes, I do. I, I think that when, when I first started to think about goals, it, it was always, you know, like... Um, people who are athletes or going to the gym or having a goal they were going to do this. And I thought, oh, maybe that's not really appropriate for a lot of us. Maybe we're too old to set goals. But I've been thinking more and more over time and goal setting is actually useful. So long as they're smart goals, you know, the specific, measurable, achievable, realistic time frame, that type of goal. And then you can see, so you do one little tiny thing and you can see what happens. So recently I decided, oh, it's time to, it's time to get a little bit fitter. I can't just sit and work. So I found a personal trainer and this is hugely good fun. And we started um, playing with weightlifting. Oh, haven't ever had so much fun, but... Enjoying weightlifting. Enjoying weightlifting. So it seems really really unusual but it's one of those things where you can have the smart goals so you know maybe you start at 15 kilos and then before you know it you're at 35 kilos and you think oh this is working so it's like a hobby that serves two purposes and it sounds like the key here is to do something that you enjoy and is fun yes because if you don't it seems to me that you won't stick to it I totally agree. You will not stick to it. And this is what goes wrong, I think, with the templates that we have around around what you're meant to do to lose weight. If you you know, you go to the doctor and they say, Oh, your BMI is too high, you mustn't know what to do. See the dietitian and she gives you a little form that, you know, has a very set food intake and you mightn't even like that food intake. And it might not be possible for your work schedule, your life schedule. And that's why I like 
everything has to be it has to be genuinely for the individual rather than a token you know broad sweeping patient centered care it has to be someone who can get into the life of that person see where their barriers are see where their joys are and work towards it so this book, Diane, is equally applicable to midwives who would be listening, even though your research was specifically done in relation to nurses? Or did your research include midwives as well? It would have included midwives as well. Oh, good. Because it was um, the Nursing and Midwives Federation. Yes. Uh, the state branch is there. And so they just sent... Um, that all their members were able to. So I didn't specifically separate nurses oh, and didn't. midwives. Okay. No, but it, your data would include data that um, surveys that were done by midwives. Definitely. Okay. Your book, Diane, talks about the relationship between meal planning and obesity. Would you please outline this relationship for our listeners? Yeah. So it, I was actually really surprised by the extent of the relationship. So the more you plan your meals, the less likely you are to be obese. And the less you plan your meals, the more likely you are to be obese. So that sort of sounds, you know, a little bit surprising. What well, was surprising to me, but what I really was surprised by that the results indicated that those who never plan their meals had a 74% probability of being obese down to a 34% probability for those who very often planned. So planning is really key here. It really is key. I presented this research at a critical dietetics conference in Canada, and that was the one thing that was picked up across the board because I think it surprised most people. I don't know, does it surprise you? No, not really. But when you think about it, we all like to think that we... We have a plan, but as you said before, nurses and midwives are often good at creating the plan for other people, but not necessarily ourselves. Yeah. And at Nurse and Midwife Support, we talk a lot about the importance of self-care and filling your own cup, or as my our listeners will know, your own mug first, because we have Nurse and Midwife Support mugs, and we say by the time you get to have a drink, you need a, a drink that is in a decent size mug, not a cup, because you know, it might have been a few hours. And so I often think that that planning is difficult for the individual, but we're very good at doing it for other people. So meal planning can be challenging for shift workers. Many of our listeners are shift workers. And certainly when I did shift work, the plan was difficult because my shifts were constantly changing. And so I didn't often have a lot of say in that. And, you know, my my day when I was a young nurse doing shift work that roster was often given to us so we, you know that's what we did I think people get a bit more flexibility now in their rosters but not always and people are often doing day shift afternoon shift night shift and rotating so that's challenging to plan what tips do you have for our listeners to assist them with meal planning when they're doing their shifts okay So I thought about this a lot because I thought about it for myself as well. Um, And what can you do? So it sounds a bit trite, but you find some time on a day off and write down what you like to eat by way of real food. Not, you know, looking at, you know, low carb, high fat, paleo, whatever it might be. But what do you like to eat? And then you go and buy the ingredients just for that one meal. Make it. 
with enough to take to work the next day. Start small, just, just this one little thing. Um, then you build up to planning four or five days of meals. And I promise it is easier once the first attempt is achieved. Um, another thought I had, and I, I can't think who I was talking to, but it was someone who, who worked shift work in another area. And they were saying they, they totally flipped their pattern. They noticed their colleagues were actually eating the equivalent of an extra meal if they were doing night shift, that sort of thing. So this person who actually had really, really good control of a healthy lifestyle, they were young, uh, but they said that what they did was they actually cut back and had one meal less. So they planned it, they had a light meal before they went to work, they took a little packet of nuts and a piece of fruit and just drank lots of water and tea throughout the shift and they felt that they actually had more energy during the shift eating less that way. Now that's really interesting. What about people who have different body types, Diane? Like for instance, I need to eat smaller meals more often because I've got like high energy use yeah. uh, and, uh, and my metabolism's quite fast. So, but other people don't have metabolisms like that. That's right. So, You're truly blessed. <laughs> You're very, very lucky. <laughs> and so for you, it's probably, and for other people who, who do just have small amounts, but often when people are um, battling with weight issues, they're often not hungry. They're just eating. Sometimes it's habit. Uh, sometimes they are hungry, of course, and that's where the planning needs to come in. But often you can be a bit hungry and highly efficient. So as long as you, you know, had plenty of water, had a couple of cups of tea or coffee, a handful of nuts and a piece of fruit is often going to do it. Or sometimes that that planning where, again, it sounds trite, but it works. You chop up some um, cherry tomatoes, celery, carrot, punnet of blueberries, handful of nuts. That's a really good little snack pack if you're lucky enough to get a 10-minute break, which I know nurses often don't. So being organised, having nutritious, healthy food, <laughs> taking it with you and giving yourself permission to have that break to be able to eat this food yes. so that you don't get to the point of being over-hungry and then craving the chips from the cafeteria. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And sometimes that's a, a mind game you play with yourself too. You know in advance you're going to be really, really tired at 2 or 3 a.m. or 2 or 3 p.m. if it's the other shift. You know that's going to happen. You know historically you're going to go and get the chips. So what you did in the past is often the best predictor of what you're going to do in the future. So you, you put that to the forefront of your mind, but you've got to have a backup plan. And that's implementation intentions, which the economists talk about a lot. So... If you know something's going to happen, then you'll do this. So if I want chips, then I'll have a, a green tea bag ready. It's not quite the same, but if you can delay it, it does work. No, that's really interesting. In your book, Diane, you talk about the risk of weight gain from eating and watching TV. I found that really interesting. Would you please explain a bit more about that? Okay, so my research and, and many other researchers have found the link between television viewing and weight gain. And when you think about it, television itself, yes, it's sedentary, but 
most people, if they're sitting staring at television, are probably going to be eating snack food of some kind. So the longer you're sitting there looking at TV, the greater the concentration of um, snack food. It, I don't think it's just that, you know, not being mindful of what you're having. I think it's more than that. It's a really, really strong habit. So eating and television watching are economic complements. Now that just means that their combined value is greater than either of the activities alone. The joint activity is greater than the sum of the parts. Uh, the good news here is that the craving to eat while watching TV loses that compulsive power or hold over us just after separating it three or four times. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. So that, that's one of the most useful things you can do. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Your book has some great recipes. Do you have a favourite? Oh, such a hard question. So... What about one that nurses, midwives would be able to make at home, have it for a meal and then take it with them for a next meal at work? Okay. So Catherine Lockley was my recipe creator. And what I said to her was, it has to be heavily vegetable focused, has to be fresh, non-processed, easy. But importantly, it has to communicate that sense of joy in preparing and eating real food. Um, it has to be fun. That, that when, when you read Catherine's recipes, the little preamble to them, it just makes you smile when you're reading it. So she, she ticked all the boxes there, but it's hard for me when I, I love that story or that story that she's got. But in terms of uh, what we're looking for here, I'd have to say the, the red lentil and beetroot fritters with roasted sesame dressing and maple, maple smoked kumara salad. Amazing stuff. I mean, they just sound good, but they taste great. I've got to say, Diane, when I read the book and I looked at your recipes, that was one that appealed to me. <laughs> I haven't made them yet, but I certainly plan to. You make them and then you can put them in your lunchbox for tomorrow. That's the plan. So, Diane, what three pieces of advice do you have for our listeners in relation to good nutrition and unwanted weight gain? Three pieces. One. Plan small meals around real foods that you actually enjoy. Two, find ways other than food to relieve stress. And your earlier podcast, Mark, with, I don't know, people like the Evolve Yourself Institute, yep. they are a really good place to start for looking at that joy from other sources. And I think, importantly, become someone who doesn't snack but find some pleasurable exercise to give that same lift. Thanks, Diane. Great advice. Well, we've come to the end of the podcast. Today, we've talked about nurse and midwife support, Diane Wintle's informative book, Procrastinating, Stressing, Eating, the research that informed this book, and the relationship between procrastinating and overeating, and how they are self-defeating behaviours. We've talked about the connection between stress and overeating, and, the, and you provided, Diane, some great tips on meal planning and advice for good nutrition and weight management. Any final words of wisdom? Yes, I think so, Mark. I think the most important thing is you don't have to follow a template of what someone else tells you to do. Find what gives you joy and just do it. Wonderful. 
Thanks, Diane. You've been a great guest, and I know nurses and midwives listening to this will benefit from your words of wisdom and your advice. Listeners, you can find out more at nmsupport.org.au via the website Nurse and Midwife Support or call us 1-800-667-877 anytime. We've got some great resources on our website and Diane's book will be posted there when we post this podcast. If you found this podcast useful, please share it with other nurses, midwives and students. And Diane, where can people get your book? Where will they find it? Uh, they can find it on Amazon or they can go to my website, dianewintle.com.au and um, most bookstores. Thanks, Diane. Thank you, Mark. Your health matters, everybody. So get into um, healthy eating if you don't do it already. And if you've got some great tips for healthy eating and weight management yourself, we'd love to hear from you. So contact me via the website. Look after yourself and each other, and I'll speak to you next time. Thank you.